The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better, too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. The following program is a podcastwarm.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Marvelous. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. I am Chris Jericho. This is the Pot of Thunder. And rock and roll. And today we've got four-time Stanley Cup champion Darren McCarty will be here. A remedy of boredom has arrived. We're ready to rock and roll. Yeah, the theme of the pot of Jericho. Rocking it. All right, always got to get the blood pumping with that. I love that part, man. How could you not love that? Got a lot of Canadiana on the show today between Darren McCarty, fine, fine uh, Ontario native. Plus, I was uh, not born in Canada, but I'm half Canadian. My parents were born in Canada. I was born in the States, so I have a, I'm a dual citizen. But I did grow up in Canada. So... uh a lot of different things. I know uh, people in the States sometimes look at the weird people up north uh, as being a little strange, which we are. And we also have a lot of different words that only uh, are used in Canada. And a lot of people in the States don't really know what those words mean. So I got in the studio. I brought in my friend from Thompson, Manitoba. Gord Canuck is his nickname. There's never been a guy named Gord who wasn't Canadian. And Gord's going to explain to us what some of these Canadian words mean. How you doing, Gord? Hey, how's it going, eh? Good to talk to you, Chris. I haven't talked to you in a long time, eh? It's pretty good, eh? Uh, yeah, uh, I noticed your lumberjack that you're wearing, a uh, lumberjack jacket. It's very cool. You got a toque on? Yeah, I got a little toque on, eh? A lot of people down here uh, think it's called a, 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 a beanie. What the hell is a beanie? It's a call a toque. You put it on, it keeps your ears warm. I mean, come on, eh? Yeah, it's kind of a strange, you know, people have a lot of misconceptions about Canadians and don't know a lot about Canada around the world. Now, let me ask you this, Gord. Um, there's a whole list of Canadian words, terms, phrases, slang, that uh, people in the States don't know. Let's go through a few of them uh, and you can explain them. What exactly does weeds mean? Weeds ain't just the things that grow in your uh, lawn, eh? The, uh, the, the, the back of your hair, you know, when you got the, the, the hockey hair going on there? 
And it's kind of flying out of the back of your helmet. Well, those are called weeds. So you got to need a weed cut. And you go in there and you get a beaner, which is when they cut all your weeds off, eh? Oh, interesting. I wasn't really aware of that. Okay, and you also have peelers. Explain to us what a peeler is. Yeah, yeah, you go to the strip club, eh, and the peelers are there. Also known as rippers. And you yell, you say, take your clothes off, ripper. And you show us what you got there, peeler. So sometimes on a Saturday night, I go uh, have a couple suds and go see the peelers. Oh, so peelers is, is a stripper. Oh, uh, yeah, but it's a peeler. It's a ripper. Okay. Um, oh, well, that's another, another uh, very cool example. Peelers and rippers are strippers. Okay, so what about we say I'm going to tune tune you? I tune you. I'll take you outside and tune you, eh, Jericho? You get a fat, fat lip on you there, eh? I'm going to tune you and tune your ass. Oh, so it means like you're going to beat somebody up? Yeah, it's gonna, I'm going to tune you. All right, cool. Um, What about Boxing Day? What, what exactly is Boxing Day? What are you, some kind of idiot? Boxing Day is the day after Christmas, eh? It's a December 26th. That's the, the day after Christmas. Oh, oh, okay. Well, that's not really, um, uh, is that like some kind of holiday? Yeah, you go to the, to the Zellers and get a good bargain, eh? And what exactly is Zellers? I mean, forgotten everything. Zellers is like a Canadian target. We go to Zellers on Boxing Day and we buy some good bargains and go watch some peelers. Okay. Uh, and how about a parkade? Any idea? Nick, do you know what a parkade is? See, the word parkade is not known here in the States, Gord. Are they some kind of dummies? It's where you go park your car, eh? It's called like the underground parkade. Oh, so it's like a parking garage. It's a parkade. Okay. Um, how about the thing in your sink that you that you put, you know, like eggshells in or, you know, when you scrape your dinner off and you turn it on, what, is, is it gar- garburator? Yeah, it's a garburator. It's, we would refer it, it, it as a garbage disposal. No, it's a garburator. You put your, your, your waste and your garbage down in the sink and you turn on the garburator. Definitely something not really known here. And the final one, Gord, what is a rye and coke? It's a whiskey and coke. You get some Crown Royal. You put it in the glass. You, you put some ice in there. You throw some diet uh, diet coke in there. You got a rye and coke. You go get pissed, eh? And then you go for a rip. You go for a ride with your friends, eh? Oh, Okay, we weren't really sure about that, about what the rye was. So now we know weeds, peelers, tunia, go for a rip, Boxing Day, Parkade, Garburator, and rye. That's the Canadian lesson for the day. Thanks, Gord Canuck, for coming in the studio. Anytime, eh? It's a little bit chilly in here, eh? I'm going to leave an extra toque for you and some uh, earmuffs, too. All right, and we're going to listen to some Kim Mitchell and go crazy. See you later, eh? Gord Canuck, good friend of mine, explaining all things... Canadian to you. And <laughs> he's crazy, man. Eating some Tim Hortons as he left here. Hey, Darren McCarty is coming up. Thanks uh, for listening today. And thanks for supporting the show by clicking that Amazon banner on the Talk is Jericho page every time you do your shopping. Just go to podcastone.com, click on Talk is Jericho, then hit the Amazon link. Whenever you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so I can keep doing this for you for free. When I bring in guests like Gord Canuck, trust me, 
I got to pay him some big bucks to get him in here to divulge the Canadian secrets, to buy new garburetors for his house. He might even buy a garburetor from Amazon. If he does, I hope he goes through Talk is Jericho. And hey, since I'm doing this show twice a week now, every Wednesday and every Friday, I need all the help I can get. So, thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for downloading twice a week. And thanks for telling your friends to hit the download button, too. All right, we're going to get to Darren McCarty. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. On the line with me right now, four-time Stanley Cup champion. Four times. That is insane. Darren McCarty is here. How you doing, Darren? Good, man. I think the last time we saw each other was in Detroit. at it up up and you were, uh, Fozzie was rocking out. Um, it was, uh, I think, Shine Down and Godsmack you were playing before, but it was uh, it was always great to see. I was great to run into you a few times a year, bud. Yeah, absolutely, man. It was, it was, it was a good time. It's funny because I was looking through, uh, I dumped my pictures uh, into the, the iPhone picture thing, and I saw a picture of you and I, and we're just like, we're just roaring. I don't know what we were laughing at, but we were having the best time. <laughs> it's, it's, it's similar every time we get together so absolutely man absolutely well it's good to talk to you i just read uh, your uh, amazing new book my last fight the true story of a hockey rock star uh, a very very cool uh, a book very honest that's definitely for sure no holds barred you, you open up your entire life your, your entire story how what was it that, that made you decide to write a book in the first place just to start off people had come up to me and you know how it goes that um you know, since when I, when I retired or, or near the end of my career, and um, you know, you, you should write a book. You know, you got so many things, and I, you know, I was like, nah, you know, whatever. Think about it. Think about it. Sort of blew it off, and then when my good buddy Bob Prober passed away, and I read his book and was like just blown away with how unabashed honesty he had in his right. book, and just let it out. And you know, he was a great buddy of mine, and and you know, at that, at that moment, it just hit me where it was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I got to do it. I got to give my truth and I got to be a hundred percent honest like he was or else, you know what, it's just smoke and mirrors and it doesn't, you know, the, you know, every book, you know, it, it doesn't end in a happy ending always, you know, mm-hmm. but it just, you just had to break out life. And, you know, I wanted to get my truth out there. And, you know, this is people have a lot of perceptions because I've gone, you know, between the alcoholism and the drugs and the bankruptcies and the divorces and the adulteries and, you know, you, you, know, you name it. No, the one thing I forgot to say in the book I was laughing is that I'm a Jericho-holic, too. So, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I got that down there. But, uh, so, so, you know, after reading Proby's book, and then, you know, I was at a point in my life where I got really lucky because I met a wonderful woman that pretty much saved my life. And, uh you know, it was time for like a timeout, and mm-hmm. a good friend, good friend of mine, Kevin Allen, he just got inducted to the Hockey Hall of Fame as a journalist. He's the hockey writer for the USA Today. And he's covered the Wings for 25 years, and him and I are, are friends. And 
he called me and said, I hear you're thinking about doing a book. When you're ready, I want to do it with you. And you know what, that's, that, that, that moment sort of kicked it into becoming a reality because, because I wanted to do it because, first of all, that's somebody I highly respect but somebody I highly trust. Right. With, you know, laying your laundry out on the line and, and knowing that he's going to, you know, nurture it and it's not going to, you're going to get your word out the way you want it. So I moved down to uh, Clearwater, Florida, yeah, about a year and a half ago and uh, hanging out with your buddy x there for a bit. And uh, uh, so I I got the book done and uh, I'm happy. I'm, I couldn't be prouder of it. I think that the one thing that I wanted to do in my book too, because if you notice when you read it, Every chapter has a song title, or yeah. you see the back of the playlist to the book. So you play the song and read the chapter, you get a gist of it. But I, you know, I wanted to make it because remember the old vinyl records we used to get where your kids you put the record on, but you get the the whole booklet and the <laughs> yeah. artistry and the words and everything. You know, it was like a you know it, it was um, you know a, a moment that you had. Just you know, you listen to the music, but you're flipping through, looking at the pictures, reading the words. You know, I wanted it to have some sort of uh, interactive way, but to, to for people to realize how influential music is in my life. Right, yeah. Good, bad, or indifferent has gone through, and I, I know that you can relate to that. Absolutely, and it, it was really cool to kind of see that. It was like the playlist for Darren McCarty's life at the end of the book. I thought that was a pretty cool touch. Yeah, so the the next step is the audio book, so when we do that, it'll be, it'll be a little different where I'll read the book, but before each chapter, the the songs will come in, so it'll give it a you know a, a, a different feel. And you can get, I think that when you see the music, because it's it's all different kinds of music that you know, but it but it all pretty much explains itself. Well, it's interesting too. You you mentioned uh, really early on about Bob Probert. I mean, obviously one of the most famous. Uh, players on the ice and also one of the most craziest off the ice and you also talked about John Cordick who also had that that uh that kind of vibe about him as well he, both both guys have since passed away when you first came to the wings you mentioned that Probert was kind of a mentor for you on the ice and off the ice was it almost like were you almost seeing him like did you guys go out and party a lot right away did you find a kindred spirit in him did that kind of make it seem like it was okay to be so crazy off the ice because Proby was doing it well yeah and and you know because of that and it wasn't like always crazy but you know it's crazy moments but also too is that um you know sometimes with with sports and I'm sure you can relate to that you know when you gotta when you're on the ice or in the ring or whatever, you got to be a hundred miles an hour with your hair on fire. It's tough to shut that down when you, when you, when you step away. Right. So, you know, sometimes, um, you know, if you want the guy on the ice, you know, you have to deal with him off the ice until, you know, you learn how to deal with that. That's the one thing that, you know, the, the balance is what the thing that, that I was always fighting for and still I'm trying to get under control because, you know, it's the, with the adrenaline and, and the addictive personality, but, you know, like playing and, and being so fired up and doing what you have to do and having, you know, having to go out and and beat ass and, you know, do things like that. Yeah. Sometimes it's tough to, to dial it down after. I mean, there's, there's there's no switch where you can just, you know, say, oh, let's turn it on. Oh, turn it off. No, you know, it's so in that way, learning how to deal with it and learning how... You know, to to work with it that way. That's been that's a lot of the a lot of the you know, least a lot of the struggle or a lot of the different things. But also, it's you got to learn how to deal with it. And I think that 
that's what comes with age. You know, mm-hmm. I'm 41 now, I'm not 21. I wish I knew at 41 back then because I would have done things, some things a little yeah. different. But, but you know, it, it is what it is. You know, it's interesting. You, you bring up a good point. It's something that, that I deal with quite a bit, too. When you perform kind of later on at night, like let's say a hockey game starts at 7.30, ends at 10, 10.30. Same thing with a, with a live show if you're, if you're doing a concert or if you're doing, you know, a wrestling show. Yeah. When, yeah. You're, when you're ending the night at 11 o'clock, then you got to travel after, you got to, you know, get your stuff off, go to the hotel. You know, it's 12, 12, 31 o'clock at night. And it, it, like you just said, it's hard to shut it off, especially when you're such an aggressive type of a player. Uh, so much, uh, you know, you got such a hard nosed way of playing. It's, it is hard to shut that down. And it is hard to sit in those four walls of the hotel room. I can understand how it'd be easy to want to go out and do something just to get out of the room and go, go get, you know, get, get your mind clear. Just to wind down. Exactly. You know, like especially because whether whether it's on stage in the ring on the ice, I mean, you're adrenaline. You're you're fired. You're giving everything you got. You can't just you know when you're when you get done. I mean, you gotta you know find a way to. That's what you do. You find a way to medicate. You know, yeah. To come down to be able to survive, and that's you know that's the big thing that we could talk about. Is just that like a lot of guys, it's self medication, and you look at around. You know, you look at wrestling. Wrestling's a lot like hockey, and and with as far as like you know, with the guys have gotten into different things because they just not only because of the pain that they're in and different you know surgeries and self medicating. It's just it's just trying to do it on your own, not properly doing it. And then yeah. I think that you see the sad things with guys like Derek Bugards and Rick Rippins and Wade Belak, and you know where the, you know the suicide comes in, and it happens more than people think because you know it's. Just find a way to do it. I think it's. I think it's getting better. I think society is getting smarter to to realize and to, to help. But I mean, it's still it's still an issue out there, and it's just something that I wanted to. You know, in my book, what I wanted there was three things that I wanted to come across. One is that you know what, maybe somebody can relate to the things that I've gone through, and know that they're not alone, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Two, yeah. Two, I wanted to get the message out that. Um, you know, that here, here's some warning signs. So if you're in this situation, you know, I, if I can stop somebody from going through something that I have because they read my book or because they see it, that's, you know, th- that's perfect. And third, with the stories, because the book's 25% hockey, 75% life. But, you know, in uh, team sports, a lot of times it's brotherhood and family gets thrown around little loosely. Well, we won four cups and we won those cups because we were showing those stories. We were just as tight off the ice as we were on the ice. And we were a family and that's why we won. That's one thing about about pro hockey, and it's kind of like that in wrestling. Wrestling is a bit more of an, of an individual sport, but it definitely you see that in the band situation. But Hockey, you have such a camaraderie with the guys in the dressing room, and it becomes a real tight-knit family situation, no doubt about it. When you're talking about the Red Wings from the 90s, I mean, you guys were probably one of the best teams in, in pro hockey history. Would you agree with that? I, I think that from, you know, 96 to probably 02, that arguably, arguably, you know, I don't want to say dynasty, but, you know, it's pretty pretty close to, you know, one of the we can we get stand up with our lineup and talent and what we did with with a lot of other teams. I agree with that, and, and also too, I think that's one of the reasons why you had such a great career. Is you were, 
the word role player is almost i mean the definitely is is a good way to describe it but you had such a an important part in the team you weren't the Steve Eiserman but yet your your line you're the grind line there's always every great team always has a line like this that's scoring fighting checking you guys were just as important to winning those cups as Steve Eiserman was in my opinion well you know it's it's pretty cool if somebody brought this up is that you know it says something because we just had the the Winter Classic here, we played in the alumni game. Yeah. But uh, reporter reporter said, you know, if you think of uh, in Detroit hockey history or even around the league, you know, you got the production line and then you got the grind line. I mean, you know what I mean? You got the Russian right. five. You got the Russian five. But to have a, if you mention a, any hockey fan, the grind line, they know exactly what you're talking about. So, you know what? I'll never be in the Hall of Fame, but I don't need to be. I, you know, I, I was happy to be a cog in the wheel and <laughs> ride shotgun to so many Hall of Famers and famous guys. And and you know what the the thing is is that I knew how much they appreciated me, and that's all I needed. Well, I mean, and you're talking about how tight you are as well. And obviously, one of the famous moments in your book and one of the famous moments is your, in your career is just the the tuning of Claude Lemieux, where you just whipped his ass after. I mean, it was a pretty rough hit. He hit your line mate and, and teammate Chris Draper from behind, smashed him in the boards, messed him up pretty good. And I love kind of how you told the story in your book, My Last Fight, about how you didn't go out and go to, you know, scalp him right away. You waited for the right moment to go out there and kind of get your quote-unquote revenge, which was, you know, the bloody Wednesday game. Did you know in the heat of the moment, did you have any idea that you were making hockey history when you went out there and, and kicked his ass? You know what? You know, but here's the whole thing, the most important part of that game. I mean, that, that game was a Hollywood script in itself, just the way it played out for me, for me anyways, because not only was I able to extract revenge, I only got four minutes and then, came back and scored the overtime winner. Right. Which was, but, and that's the whole thing going into the game, is, is that, you know what, I was going to take my shot at him, but it was more important for us to win the game because the year before we set the league record with 62 wins, mm-hmm. we lost to Colorado in the conference finals. And we hadn't beaten them at all in this year. So they sort of had our numbers. So the most important thing was winning the game. And what I always say is if Claude Lemieux wants to get mad at anybody, be mad at Peter Forsberg because he started that melee with Igor Lariano. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, and in the way that, that that all worked out, and we were able to win, and then you know, obviously in hindsight, uh, be able to go on on the way to win back to back cups. It definitely greatest game I ever played in, and uh, you know, something that uh, you know, what, what can you say? Looking back, you know, sixteen years later, you can see the impact that it had. But at the time, no, I don't think so. I just wanted, I just wanted, you know, extract some revenge for. What he did to my buddy. It's interesting, too. You mentioned how you do a lot of autograph signings now and about how you and Lemieux do signings together and sign pictures together. Or how is that to kind of sit down? Are you guys buddies now at this point in time or at least cordial to each other? Yeah, exactly. Cordial is good. I mean, uh, you know, I I don't (laughs) condone what he did on the ice and I don't really respect respect him as, as not how he played, but he was a great player, great playoff performer. But, you know, I. Don't like his how cheap he was, but as a man and off the ice, I mean, he does all these signs. He signs the turtle picture, which is me tumbling him, and he signs the turtle too. <laughs> and he gives all his money that he does to charity. So, I mean, he's uh, he's he's. I got no problem with him as a man. Like I can you know shake his hand and, and sit there and converse with him. But 
you know, we're not we're not going out for beers anytime soon. <laughs> what what Darren's talking about is in hockey when you're beating somebody up, the term is turtle, where they will. Will you explain what turtling is? Okay, well, tur- turtling and 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 actually, well, when you turtle is when the guy is going to fight you and you don't want to fight, you bury your head. You know, you go down on the ice and try not to get hit. But like I mentioned in the book, Claude even said he goes, he didn't. He goes, I didn't turtle. He said you knock. He, he, that was the hardest punch I ever took. He said you you. I saw stars and I was out for for a split second. So I'll go with that one. Whatever he wants. I like how he's signing his turtle. I always used to hate Lemieux. He's he's the guy. He reminded me a lot of of a guy like Flurry or something, where you hated him unless he was on your team, and then you loved right. him. That's you know he played right. so no, dirty. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So you you, um, me- you mentioned that you hit him so hard. Who who hit you? Who landed the best punch on you in all your years on hockey? Well, the scariest one, and the one is my my good buddy, um, who eventually was a teammate of mine, Joey Coaster. My first Ooh. year when I was in Detroit, and he was in New York, and obviously I'm trying to set you know set the tone for myself or whatever. Never been so scared, but we squared off and. He threw a punch, and I ducked, and he chipped a piece of my helmet off. Wow. And we got tangled up, and we hit our heads on the ice. And he looks at me and goes, you okay, kid? And I go, thanks for not killing me, Mr. Kosher. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we talk about that to this day. But, yeah, took took the side piece right off my helmet. <laughs> Was there anybody that you hated having to fight? Hated having to fight? Yeah, any of, any of the guys that were. You know, fighting in hockey was fun until they put the tie-down rolling. Because smaller guys like me who could, you know, I'm more of a, you know, I'm more of a pugilist, you know what I mean? I'm more of a, like, I got to use my <laughs> skills to my advantage at whether I can't just, you know, I'm not big enough to stand there with the big guys and go toe-to-toe. So um, back in the day, like, even growing up, it was, you know, an art form to be able to fight the bigger guys, to be able to get out of your jersey or to be able to, mm-hmm. you know, use that to their advantage. Put the tie-down rule and then I got to fight a guy like George George of the Rack, who's six four, two hundred and sixty wow. pounds. You know, you know that's no point. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. Now, a tie down is is when they they implemented this policy where they would actually put a button on the back of the of the sweater and it would go to the back of your of your hockey pants, so you couldn't pull the jersey over the the face, basically, right? Yeah, over 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 the over the head. But you know, in in doing that, in doing that, when when they didn't implement it, you didn't have to have it down. Then you could. There's a way that you know guys who fought all the time can get out of their jerseys. So you know, there's you don't give another guy something to grab onto. It gives you some, some sort of an advantage. So oh. when they and then they put in the rule that if your jersey came, if you weren't tied down or your jersey came off, then you get kicked out of the game. So wow, okay, that's what that's what, that's what fighting didn't become fun anymore. So now let me ask you this: You're talking about about you know such a, a tight knit team and how great you guys were and winning four Stanley Cups. I mean, a lot of players never win one. I know to this day, my my father will never touch the Stanley Cup because he had his chance in '72 and they lost. The Rangers lost to Boston. He doesn't want to touch it. He doesn't want to look at it. I mean, how was that for you to win the Stanley Cup and not just once? I mean, four times. I mean, that's every every Canadian kid's dream. Unbelievable, especially um, you know. I mean, they're all they're, they're like kids. You know, they're all special in their own way, and they're all their own storyline. But for me, growing up just across the border um, in Canada from Detroit, I grew up a Wings fan, and that was you know late seventies, early eighties when they were the Dead Wings, <laughs> and all my my cousins and my buddies were Toronto, Montreal fans. So I had to hear from it. So to be able to 
after 42 years to be able to raise that cup in 97 and be, you know, hometown kid and, and knowing the history and knowing what it meant. I mean, that was a pretty, uh, surreal experience. And then to be able to do it back to back and then do it again in 02 and then do it again after my comeback in 08, it's, you know, something that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm what? blessed. The good Lord's got his hand on me for sure. And not to mention four cups with, with the same team. I mean, that's amazing over, over yeah. the course of like 14 or 12 years or so, correct? Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. I had a little, uh, Stint in uh, in Calgary there, which I loved. Loved Calgary. Yeah, Calgary's a great city. It's a great city. Great people. Great fans. Um, had fun there, and then I was able to to come back to Detroit um, in '08 and be able to come back to the team and uh, be able to be a part of winning the cup. So, I mean, it, it, that was amazing too. So let's let's talk about when you win the cup. So, how does it work? Like you get the cup, and then over the course of the summer. Every player gets it for 24 hours or something along those lines. Yeah, for, yeah, 24 to 36, depending on what it is. And you know, they uh, they uh, you know, General Kenny Hall and general manager, or whatever, will map out. You know, because it's got to go to Sweden, it's got to go to Russia, it's got to you know make mm-hmm. its rounds. So, so they'll give you a block of time. That so, if I'm in the Detroit area, which <laughs> which at the time I was, and um, you have more accessibility to it because it's around here for functions and more, but you'll, you'll get to pick a date and everybody picks a date and, you know, then you have your family party or, or bash or, you know, <laughs> take it to your golf club or, you know, take it all around. And the most fun thing is that if you're, if you're from Detroit and probably in 97, 98 and you haven't drank out of the cup, then you weren't out in public because <laughs> we took that thing everywhere. What's... 17, 17 and a half beers to fill it right to the top. Where it just bubbles over, it doesn't spill. <laughs> What's the crazy? Seventeen and a half beers is what you can fill it with. Is that what you said? Yeah. Oh, yeah. seven. You got it down to a science. Seventeen and a yeah. half. Yeah. What kind yeah. of beer? Uh, usually Bud Light. Okay. <laughs> so or what's PBR. What's the craziest thing you ever did with the cup? Uh, the craziest thing. I mean, you had it for four days total, right? So I know, I know. We, uh, you know, we. So I took it. Uh, Put on the back of the Harley, took it for a ride, um, <laughs> all around people like that. Uh, the, the most fun thing was when we won in 08, I got four kids, and we took it over to our favorite ice cream shop and put a huge Sunday in it. And you got to remember, it's the cup's metal, too, so they kept that ice cream super cold. So there's a few ice cream headaches going on in our family, I think. <laughs> so do you clean it out beforehand, though? Like, do you like disinfect yeah, it oh, before yeah. you eat out of it? Yeah, oh, yeah. Folks, hell yeah, dude. You don't know what other guys have done in that thing. <laughs> no kidding, right? I know yeah. uh, my friend Vinny Paul, uh, you know Vinny, I'm sure. The, yeah. the, the cup yeah. ended up in the bottom of his pool, Vinny Paul from I heard, Pantera. I heard yeah. that story. Yeah. Blue or whatever. I heard that story. Yeah, I'm sure, uh, like it, you said. It's, it's, it's happened a few times. Now, how heavy is it to, to hold that over your head? Probably about 35 pounds. Yeah, man. Probably, probably like one of, your, one of your championship belts. <laughs> do you know? Do you know who's the guy with the white gloves that that accompanies the cup everywhere? That's the cup cop. The cup cop. <laughs> yeah, the cup cop. What does usually, he do? Usually, filler Walt. Well, they implemented this after the Rangers had it in '93, where they used to have it unattended, uh-huh. and uh, and there's some shenanigans went on. So now on that, every team has to pay the Hall of Fame for a guy to travel around with it. And he's perfect because what you do, he just sits, he just watches the cops. So if you're out at a, 
you're at a party or at a bar or whatever like that, so you don't have to be responsible. He stands right next to it and makes sure they watches everybody have a good time. And um, <laughs> yeah, and, and it's funny because you get to know him. I mean, I mean, Walt, Walt uh, was my guy, and uh, you know, he, when I'd have the cup after the first year, or whatever, when he, when he'd have it with me, he just to crash in the spare bedroom at my house, so it worked out good. <laughs> I remember I did the uh, NHL awards. I, did, I presented one of the awards back, and I think it was 2002, and I saw that guy, and he's like, oh, Chris Jericho, here, come, come go stand in this closet for a second. I, was go, I go, why? He goes, just go in there. Trust me. I'll give you two minutes. So, okay, so I go in there, and there's a big box, and I open it up, and the cup was in it, and I was just like, yeah. I, I touched it and looked at it, but I didn't, I couldn't lift it up, but I was just like, oh, it was just so cool to see it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that was, you know, and one of the coolest, you know, I just remember, one of the coolest things is, was that uh, that I like, for me personally, was like at the end of the night, probably about five in the morning or whatever like that, after festivities dialed down, I remember taking it upstairs to the, to the shower and putting it in the shower and getting, having to, you know, washing it up and having a shower with it and just going through all the names and all the teams and, you know, all the all the mistakes that are on it, like the spelling mistakes or the X's out and stuff. And yeah. you just see the history of it. And, you know, it's not like an hour, just, you know, taking it all in. That's pretty, uh, to have that piece of, piece of special history in your house and your possession for that, that amount of time is pretty cool. That's unbelievable experience. Four-time Stanley Cup champion. We'll be back right away with some more Darren McCarty. But first, got to show my sponsors some love. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You're back with Darren McCarty, four-time Stanley Cup champion. That means you got four Stanley Cup rings. Do you, do you wear them all? All four of them? No, no, <laughs> they're uh, they're for the kids. They're uh, they're in a safety deposit box. I mean, you probably wear it. I took it out to wear it to the uh, to a game the other day, but uh, I mean, you might wear it a couple times a year. But those things, they're they're beautiful, but they're too big and yeah, too big and gaudy to wear regular. Like I mean, Mister. Mr. Ellis, Mr. Mrs. Ellis, to spare no expense. To, to, oh, so, so each owner buys yeah. the different style yeah, of rings? And, and, and yeah, exactly. They, they, they design it. They draw oh, it. Wow. They, they design Like the first one is, first one's like gold with diamonds. Second one's, uh, diamonds and it's got, uh, rubies and a, the red wing across, which is smaller. And the third one's a lot like that, but the, the red wing is red and it's different than the last one is absolutely just bling bling diamonds. Oh, your arse. I mean, it's like, wow. the, the last, the last one is like, God, you know, it's almost like Mr. Lynch is just like building up. Cause the last one I think is like, um, praise at like 25 grand. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I didn't realize I that each one was different. I thought it was just kind of a set thing and that's, they no. give them to the same guys every year. Oh, wow. No, every, 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 they, he designed all of them. Jim and Kenny Holland designed every ring to make them all different. Was it the same owner for all the years? Was it Mike Illich was the owner of all, all four cups? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, great so, owner, best owner in sports. 
So let's talk about your other side of, of, of your professional life, the, your band Grinder. Uh, like we said, Darren's book is, is My Last Fight, the true story of a hockey rock star. And rock star appeals in many different ways, but he actually did sing in a band that toured quite a bit. I, I was very interested in reading about Grinder in your book. How did you decide to start that, uh, and how did you get it up and rolling? The, the band? Yeah, the band Grinder. yeah. The, 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 uh, the band, it started out after 97, we won. And then Vladimir Konstantinov, for our top defenseman got in that limo accident. Yeah. And uh, so I was tight with a bunch of guys in the local scene, and, and the local bands wanted to put a, like a compilation CD together of songs to help raise money, you know, for Vladdy or for his charity and stuff like that. And uh, they came up with the idea that I should, uh, we should form a band and, and uh, you know, write a, write a tune and put it on it. So, uh, I, you know, me, I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. And I had, you know, I dabbled in music, but I mean, I'm not a musician, but I always loved music and, you know, was like, okay, with not knowing any, anything about, you know, singing and singing from your diaphragm and, you know, like right. all the stuff you have to learn. Um, but I was, I was in, into it. So we did that. We wrote a song called Step Outside, which is real. It's uh, it, it it worked out, but I mean, I'd like to re-record it now. <laughs> yeah. I think I have a few more ideas, a little, a little bit more advanced in my musical knowledge now. But uh, so we did that, and when we ended up, it, it sort of took off, and we ended up uh, right, right now, like in a little six song, six song demo, and, and for the next few years in the summertime, we go around and play locally in Michigan and in Canada, and and I had a blast with it, and then. So then we got away from it for a bit, and then after we won in '02, uh, K Rock's a good buddy of ours, and and uh, he was playing our uh, cup party, mm-hmm. and uh, I got up on stage with him and my lead guitarist Billy Reed, who's a great friend of mine for many years. Got up there and we started jamming out, and and he's like, "Hey, you want to, you know, but we hadn't because we haven't played in a few years. Because you want to put the band back together for a bit? All right." So we put it back together and. Went out for a couple couple years, and a lockout came up. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys, you know, went to Europe, and a lot of guys did other things. And I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go tour for I'm gonna go tour for this for the lockout if we're not playing hockey. So wow. So we yeah. So we uh, played 85 shows. Uh, you know, from played the right. You know, from the Roxy and and LA to the to the Vegas. We played. You know, Texas. We we, we that's a long tour. 85 shows. Yeah, it, it was over. It was over prior the year, but it, you know what I mean. It was it, right. it, it was it was fast though. But I mean, there'd be, we'd be gone for maybe two weeks at a time, at the most. But we had it. We had it going, and then we and then wrote our last album called Out of Our Heads, and which is a, you know one, another thing that I'm very proud of because uh, myself and then uh, my bass player James Andrews, rest in peace. Um, he's the one that taught me, you know. The most about music, most about listening. He pretty much just said, "Hey, you gotta listen to that. everything comes from the Beatles mm-hmm. and maybe Zeppelin, and then and forget everything else." Right, <laughs> right, so right. We sat down and and you know because I I can you know I hear music good, but I can't play it or whatever. So they lay down the I'd write they lay down the music and I'd write the words. And so we copulate on that, and we got that album done. And I mean that was. Uh, 
it was a, an awesome experience. But you know what happened on May fifth, May fifth in the in oh four or oh five. Um, was uh, Jim had a coronary edema on the phone with his wife and died. Mm. So pretty much after that, um, we first up the tour with another guy. We had like 10 shows left, and then I just shut the band down after that. So um, how, with how, that and then going to Calgary and and coming back, we haven't really had a chance to play. But Millie and I, my guitarist, have been me- messing around and thinking about... Uh, her back going this summer. So you were like one of the only, maybe the only guy in hockey that had a band. How did how did the the Red Wings management or your teammates look at that? Not very well. No, no. Why is <laughs> I mean, that? that was, well, just because they thought that it that was taking distraction. Mm. So I was worried about distractions or that that was you know my focus. But you know at the time we weren't playing hockey, so right. Um, you know, and then. And then I probably, you know, I probably, you know, could have, you know, heated a little bit more. I mentioned in my book, you know, like the, it probably wasn't a good thing. I was trying to capitalize on training camp. We go to Traverse City every year, and and they wanted me to cut back on the band, and I decided to to, to play one one last show up there. So that didn't really go over very uh, well. We all, well. We all we all got over it. Well, <laughs> you were always kind of uh, of of the rebel of the team. I mean, even you, you mentioned you, you tested positive for, for, for marijuana over 30 times as yeah. a player. Did you ever worry about losing your NHL gig because of, of, because of stuff like that? You know what? Here's the thing. And this is the thing that goes right back to the beginning of this conversation about the probie. Yeah. Level, is that see, the difference between probie and I, and I learned this from him is that I got to learn where the line was. Uh, and I get, and he, he had trouble uh, stopping at the line. So I'll get to the line, whether it's the cliff or the edge, and I may lean over it, but, but because, you know, the good Lord willing and whatever, there's always something that brings me back where I don't go over too far. Right. You know what I'm saying? I don't go over the line. Mm-hmm. I go right up to the line, but, you know, that's, but, uh, but also too, is that I, that's a, a thing that I learned. Also, from paying attention from 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 you know mistakes that Bob made and mistakes that you know I could uh, I could make too, and uh, I just was fortunate not to. Did you did the, I mean obviously okay you get close to the line were you getting fined if you if you test yeah, positive? I got fined. I, uh, yeah, there was, there are repercussions. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, what is the? But um, yeah. But I didn't get suspended. But uh, yeah, I got fined. So what would the a few, what, t- a few times? I mean, would you ever? I mean, obviously, you mentioned that you were a functioning alcoholic, very much drinking at the time, a lot, lot, lot. Would would your teammates see this, or well, would your coach here, see this? Well, at, see, at the time in my career, you know, I I'd gone ten years without drinking. Oh, um, you know, I quit. I quit for you know, right. Usually January of every year. You know what I mean? I I take and and for a lot. Later in my career, while I played, um, I was sober, mm-hmm. and uh, it wasn't until you know after when I retired or when I was away, you know, because you know my alcoholism is very public, mm-hmm. and prevalent. So I mean, it's not like the, that I could hide. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Hide it so it was not do it, and that's the whole thing about me being honest now. Yeah, sure, I still drink. You know, I try to keep it to. To, to a few beers and stay away from the liquor and stuff like that. But, I mean, it is, you know, it is 
the way that helps me get by. And, mm-hmm. you know, that is what I have to do. So it wasn't so much, you know, when I was playing earlier, younger, when I was younger, in the, like at the beginning in the early 20s, oh, yeah, I was just 100 miles an hour, my hair on fire all over the place. So <laughs> what? Know, sometimes you have to learn to temper it back at, at certain times, you know. Well, absolutely. But like you said, you kept coming back and kept playing on winning teams and kept doing doing your job. So obviously it might have been affecting you, but not too badly, at least when you were playing. Well, things get overlooked a little bit when you win. Well, yeah, that's right, huh? No, but how was yeah. it for you, though, uh, in 2009 when you finally retired? How was that? Was it an agonizing decision to, to step away after playing no, hockey your whole life? I was so beat up mm-hmm. and, like, third or hernia surgery, and I was, I was done. I mean, plus, the, plus, you know, this isn't my game. You know, mm-hmm. this isn't the game I grew up playing. Games, games change. It's different. I was happy to hang it up. You know, I missed right. everything about the game. You know, the, the travel, the locker room, the guys, I miss all that. I don't miss playing at all. Wait, wait, you know, I mean, which way do you mean when you say... Right which way, when you say it's, it wasn't your game, how, how did the game change? Well, you know, they, they're taking more of the fighting out of hockey. You know, it's more mm-hmm. of a... You know, the, the, you know, the defense, they can't touch, you can't hold the guy up anymore, you can't really protect your teammates. You got, you know, it's 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 Batman hockey now, and I wasn't, that wasn't the game I grew up playing. You right. know, it's... Uh, you know, the liberties guys take on each other nowadays and the lack of respect is just, this stuff didn't happen back, you know, when I played. So, I mean, it's like, you know, I'm still a hockey fan and a fan of the Wings, but, I mean, it's not, you know, I miss the game that we played in the 90s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense. It's funny how it changes always. I mean, even wrestling for me has changed since I first started to where a lot of times well, yeah. you, you don't know what's good and what's bad anymore because the whole style of what you used to do has changed. <laughs> No, that's that's exactly hundred percent. And you know, it's you know, I guess it's uh, you know the way that it, the evolution of every sport and the way that it always happens. But you know, when you're in the middle of it, sometimes you just shake your head. Yeah. You know what? Another interesting thing to me about reading your book was too, as you mentioned, when you finally started making. I mean, you're always making good money, but you're making big money. You guys get paid twice a month. And yeah. the check would be like a hundred grand a month. I mean, that is yeah. unbelievable big money to be making for for a young guy. So yeah, and and more money, more problems, more <laughs> money, more friends, more money, more money. Yeah, more problems. Yeah, the, so, you mentioned um, you mentioned yeah. that, that you made sixteen million dollars over your career, and now have have basically none of it anymore. Right. Exactly. Between divorce and bankruptcy and stuff like that. Um, I'm surviving, but you know, I mean, it, it ain't, I ain't, li- I ain't living like I once was, but you know what? That's, and to me, I'm much happier now. Yeah. I'm much happier with a lot less. Hmm. Uh, you know what? I mean, I have a great, I have a great woman. Um, you know what I mean? Kids are, kids are healthy. You know, I'm uh, on a new on a new journey with this book, which has opened up some opportunities. And you know, I'm in I'm in a good place, and I'm in a better place than you know I, I have been in in a lot of years. You know, and it's just uh, you know work in progress, I guess. You know, it's amazing, though. Like you said, I mean, how much money a pro athlete can make, and also how easy it is to spend it and waste it, and how a lot of times you don't see. I guess the, the saying of you don't see the forest through the trees as far as you don't realize just how much pressure there is on you and how, 
I mean, we've all done it. You make stupid decisions when you're in the moment because I, I noticed that you was, you said you felt like you were the king of the world, like no one could touch you. And you're not the only one that ever felt that way, man. I mean, it happens to, to a lot of us uh, throughout our careers. No, it's, you know, it doesn't matter. I think that's the whole point, and too, is that, is that it doesn't matter where you come from, whether you're a professional athlete like we are or, you know, or a, a guy that goes to work on the line in the, in the morning. We all go through different things in our life and it's just sort of persevering it's sort of you know i never give up and never surrender because you know it's things can always get better right absolutely and to believe believe in that and to actually live through that that's you know sometimes it's harder than sometimes it's a lot harder just to believe that it happened but trust me you know as i write about it it does Mm mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. Well, going going back to hockey, who who was who were the best guys that you played against in the league during the years you played? Well, uh, Kogretsky had his last uh, on his last, and and I got you know Mario Mew, which was amazing to watch. But the one guy that always I catch myself staring at watching when I wasn't on the ice playing against him was Joe Sackick in Colorado. Wow! I just thought you know his just to watch that guy shoot the puck with that, you know, in the stride. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that you always watch and always try to work on. And, and it's funny because even Stevie Y was a huge Joe Sackett fan and would always, you know, we'd always talk about that. There's different guys and that you watch around the league. You know, when you play against it, you're just amazed by it. You know, at, at the end of my career, you know, I got to play against, like, Sidney Crosby and Ovechkin, and those kids are amazing, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a different, you know, sort of a different, you know, gone from Gretzky and Lemieux to... Uh, Crosby and Ovechkin, so that covers the gamut a lot. But sure, yeah, I played against, played with some extraordinary players and against a lot of great world class players too. Do you think there'll ever be another guy as dominant as Gretzky or Lemieux as far as getting two hundred points in a season? You know what? I, I, it's it's tough to say. You know, if if you, if you put a gun in my head, I'd say that the, right now the closest would be Crosby. Mm-hmm. He's got that ability to to put points up, but the game, you know, the game's changed too. And, uh, you know, as far as, uh, it's tough to stay healthy for 82 games, you know, let alone put up, you know, you put up a point a game. That's pretty impressive. Absolutely. So I don't, I don't think, I don't think that and the way that the goalies are these days and stuff, it's tough to say, you know, I, mm. I, I don't see it happening, but if Crosby did it, I, you know, wouldn't be surprised. It's so interesting. It's like a guy like Gretzky, you know, it's like Eddie Van Halen on guitar. The guy came out at a time and basically was a pioneer and changed the way the game was played, changed the way the guitar was played. And then there was, there's so many people that have come afterwards, but no one can ever really capture that magic that a Gretzky had or, or, or a Van Halen had. It's almost like the time was right at that period. And now, I mean, especially in hockey, guys are bigger, goaltenders are bigger. I, I just don't know if there's enough space for a guy to be as dominant as, as Gretzky was. Right, and guys are faster, and guys are bigger, and you know what? Like, thing with Gretzky back in the day, like he was just he just bought himself so much time mm-hmm. to be able to make the play. You know, now now there's not that much space and that much time on the ice out there. Right, um, you got to move it quick. But it's uh, it's yeah, it's it's that's a great analogy because you know th- those those are two guys that at the t- at the time when they they came out. They were they were doing some things that nobody else ever had. Yeah, no, and no probably nobody else never will. That's right. That's right. What do you miss the most about playing hockey? Dressing room. Yeah. Messing around with the guys. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, pranking each other, hanging out, you know, stuff like that. What was your favorite prank that you ever did to somebody? I was usually one getting pranked. But, um, <laughs> but uh, um, I think, you know, there's, there's a couple... There's a couple good ones where um, uh, we, <laughs> the best one was at Ozzy's basketball party, and it was not even on his teammate, it was on one of his buddies who passed out. We were golfing the next day, and Ozzy and his buddy, we wrote, we wrote, I am a boozer on the back of his calves. Uh-huh. It took, it took till the 17th hole, the <laughs> cart girl, to, to, to say, hey, boozer, you want another drink? He's like, what are you calling me that? Well, that's what your name is, isn't it? Look, you took the seventeen holes to figure out if you were laughing for <laughs> Walk around at a posh, uh, a posh country club with I'm a boozer on the back of your legs. <laughs> and Ozzy would be Chris Osgood. You're, you're uh, oh yeah, and, and between him and Kurt Bobby, they're they're the biggest tanksters you know I ever played with. That, that's the funny thing about hockey I've noticed too is like most of the guys are small town Canadians. And it's just a better. I mean, I don't know. I've never been a real in, in in a locker room for you know football or basketball or whatever. But it just seems like you know small town Canadians get together. It's just it's just a better atmosphere. It just I don't know. It seems like a little bit more of a old school fun pranking each other rather than how much bling you can have and how many cars you can buy. Oh yeah, that's not that's not happening in there. I mean, you you walk into a hockey room and you, you know. You're bragging about your jeans or your, you know, <laughs> what your car you got. You're not going to last very long. So. That's right. <laughs> okay, and out of all the goals you score, how many goals did you score throughout your career? 127. What's the one that stands out the most? Well, the cup final clinching one in 97 against uh, Philadelphia where I beat Yanni Nenema one-on-one and then scored on Hextall and tell everybody I beat one guy one-on-one my whole career. It's all timing. <laughs> That's right, man. That's right. <laughs> Darren, it's been great talking to you, man. It was really uh, a really cool, uh, interesting read and, and pulling for you huge. My Last Fight, The True Story of a Hockey Rock Star is Darren's book. You have to read this if you if you enjoy hockey, if you enjoy uh, music. But like he said, it's 75% life. It's, it's a real story about kind of going to the edge of the world and coming back. And uh, what do you have coming up? What's your plans for the future, Darren? You know, right now we're just in the midst of this uh, book thing, and uh, I haven't even hit Canada yet. So just uh, taking through Michigan here in this uh, beautiful uh, foot and a half of snow that we have. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, you can hear me hacking and coughing and going yeah. snowblowing my buddy LJ for the last two days. So I think it's minus six outside today, too. So that nice. uh, might not be making it out today. But uh, no, just doing the book thing and... Um, Got some uh, speaking engagements and some public appearances coming up in the future, but just going to ride this book thing out, buddy. All right, man. Well, it's a great book. Like I said, congratulations. And congratulations to everything you've gone through and for uh, for turning it all around. And from from the hockey fan inside of me, four-time Stanley Cup winner, man, that's something to, I'm super impressed and super proud of you for that. Well, well, thanks, buddy. You know, I'm a big fan of yours, too. Can't wait to uh, catch up with you again and fuzzy on, bud. <laughs> thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon, Darren. See you, Chris. Bye, buddy. Thanks to Darren McCarty, four-time Stanley Cup champion. Do you know how amazing that is? That is, uh, I've, I've always said the Stanley Cup is the hardest trophy to win in pro sports because you've got to win 16 games. It's not like the NFL where it's one game or like Major League Baseball where it's you know, I think it's 14 or something along those lines, if, if that. 16 games you got to win, and McCarty won four of them.
All right, time to take a few calls. I always post the number. You got to be careful. You got to be watching. Pay attention to that Twitter at Talk is Jericho. Let's see who we got. Rob from Ontario is on the line. Where in Ontario are you from, Rob? Chad, I'm right near the Windsor Detroit border. Oh, right down there. Yeah, I know that. I know that area. What's going on, man? How you doing? Uh, good. Um, I was always a huge time Chris Jericho fan. I uh, didn't really know a lot about Fozzie until 2005 when the WWE started using your guys' enemy song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to know more about the, uh, what, what was your name? Mongoose McQueen, Alter Ego, and sort of the beginning of Fozzie. Well, when we first started the band, it was kind of just almost um, like a side project. It was just a fun thing. We were playing covers uh, as Fozzie Osborne, which is where the name came from. And because Chris Jericho and Rich Ward from Stuck Mojo, who was who was pretty big at the time, were in a band together, we got a record deal kind of uh, right off the bat without even doing anything as a cover band. So I thought rather than just be a normal cover band, let's do a, a little spin on it and do like a Blues Brothers type thing or a Traveling Wilburys and come up with alter egos and different names uh, and, and kind of take it from there. So that's how it all started. And for the first year and a half, we did have alter egos, Moon Goose McQueen and Duke LaRue and all these ton of different names. And then we did the Howard Stern show in 2002 in a battle of the bands against Howard's band that was called The Losers. And we decided, listen, if we're going to go in the Howard Stern show, we better just kind of drop all these you know different names and just go in as ourselves. And we did that. We kicked Howard's band's ass. <laughs> and after that, we decided just to do our own thing and do it our own way. So... Yeah, it was like for the first couple of years of the band, it was kind of a, a different vibe, kind of a, a fun type of a thing with the alter egos and stuff like that, and then it kind of morphed into what it is today. Wow. I can't believe I didn't know about the Howard Stern show. I'm also a huge Howard Stern fan. I never saw yeah, that. Yeah, it, it's, it's up on... He, he was doing this thing where he would do a battle of bands against celebrities that had bands. I know he had like Corey Feldman's band and I think, you know, Tina Yothers or whoever, Kevin Bacon... And he was beating them all. Like he said that his band could beat any celebrity band. And then we came out there and we crushed them. And it was funny. It was the only time that, that the losers ever got a vote against them. And, and we lost two to one. And I was so mad about it. But after I saw Howard, he's like, listen, he goes, the only reason why you guys won is because it's my show. And I couldn't, you know, I can't allow myself to lose because you guys killed me. And we're never doing this again, and they never did. So Fozzie, yeah, Fozzie, Howard's famous giant ego. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, Howard was actually really cool though, man. He's, he's he was kind of just playing a character like like we were. So, oh, but cool, man. Well, thanks for listening to Talk Is Jericho, and thanks for calling in, Rob. Oh, I listen every day or every week, twice a week now. Thanks for the second show a week. <laughs> thanks, man. Well, stay warm up there. I know it's been pretty crazy, so be cool. I'll we'll, try. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Yep, no problem. All right, we got Adam from Chicago. How you doing, Adam? Chris, I'm great. How are you? Good, good. What's what's going on? Not much. Uh, I did have a question. I also I just wanted to thank you. I uh, I've been dealing with some back issues, herniated discs, spinal stenosis, and I I just ordered DDP yoga, and you were kind of the inspiration for me doing that. So I wanted to thank you for that. Oh um, I, no, no problem, man. Yeah, DDP yoga is is the way to go. Very very uh, very very cool. And actually, DDP is on the Shark Tank. I believe later this week to, to pitch DDP yoga. If you've ever seen that he's on February 21st. So let's wish him luck on that. Hopefully he'll be able to sell, uh, sell DDP yoga for millions and, and help everybody. But that's it, a really cool, it's a really cool. Um, I mean, I could change my life, man. It really did. It, it, it completely changed the way I train. It changed the way I feel every morning. So I can never say enough about DDP yoga for sure. Well, thank you. And like I said, you, uh, you kind of, your your selling points on it inspired me to to get the system, so I wanted to thank you. But also, 
as far as a question, I always enjoy hearing, uh, you know, stories from on the road. So do you have a funny story from on the road with wrestling or with Fozzie, anything that you uh, <laughs> really stuck sticks out for you? That's kind of like the most generic uh, question ever. I think I have three, <laughs> three, three books written about uh, about funny stories. Let me let, let, let let's, let's narrow it down a bit. Pick somebody, and chances are I'll have a funny story about them. Pick anybody in music or wrestling, and throw the name out there, and and chances are I'll be able to think of something funny about it. All right. How about uh, how about Owen Hart? Owen Hart, well, it's interesting. I only had a few interactions with Owen before he passed away. I actually came to the WWE. That was one of my uh, reasons why I jumped from WCW to WWE was to be uh, get a chance to hopefully wrestle with Owen. And then he passed away in May, and I came to the WWE, I believe it was in August. So I never got a chance to, to, to wrestle with him. But I do uh, – it's not even really a funny story. It's more of just a, a story – I lived in Calgary for, for, for many years, as did Owen, and I was fly, working in Japan at the time, and one time I got on my plane, and I was lucky enough to get upgraded to first class, and I sat down in a seat right next to Owen Hart, and I barely knew Owen. I barely knew him, but I just couldn't not talk to him, and it was about 7 a.m. in the morning. I could tell he wanted to sleep, and I wanted to sleep as well, but we got into this really great conversation, and he you know, it was just one of those things where he was one of the guys. Like when I was a kid watching Stampede Wrestling, I used to draw pictures of the Stampede Wrestling tag team champions, Owen Hart and whatever my name was, Chris Jericho or Christian Chris Irvin. I think it was I was going to do a Christian gimmick like Striper. So I actually have this picture that I drew of me and Owen Hart as tag team champions. And when I met him on that plane ride, you know, I got a chance to really get to sit down for two or three hours and chat with him. And I'll never forget the one thing he said is he said, you know, you always get to the airport early. It, it's it's it will kill you and will stress you out if you continue to get to the airport, you know, with five minutes to spare. And as a result of that conversation, I always get to the airport a half an hour before I'm supposed to, so I can relax. And I remember he said, "Just relax, have a coffee, collect your thoughts, and that way you don't have to be freaking out and be running all over the place." So that's the one kind of little lesson I learned from Owen about life on the road: is always get to the airport about half an hour early, so you don't have to uh, stress yourself out. So there you go. Great. Well, absolutely. Well, hey, th- thanks again for taking my call. And I, uh, again, I'm looking forward to uh, to trying to get you it. Give it a try, man. I'm glad you're doing it, man. Thanks for listening to the show, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again, Chris. All right. Once again, ddpyoga.com is where you need to go. If you're listening from the U.K., DDP will be there from March 1st to March 11th. He's doing questions and answers. He's doing yoga exhibitions. Go to ddpyoga.com to get the information. And February 21st, he's going to be on the Shark Tank. So, uh, Mark, what's that guy's last name? Mark Cuban. Give my boy a chance. Give him a shot. All right, and thanks for giving me a shot. You guys are awesome as always. This is the Pot of Thunder. We'll see you on Friday with the Hart family dynasty continues on with Natty Neidhart. We're just talking about her Uncle Owen. Natty will be here on Friday to chat all things Hart, all things Total Diva. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. Stay hard, stay cool, stay hungry. Peace and love. We'll see you on Friday. God bless you. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. 